0: Hello, Hope Church family. I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses 18 through 25, which is the birth narrative of Jesus according to Matthew. Now, we're continuing this series that we've called Your Kingdom Come, and we're looking at Matthew, especially how Matthew presents Jesus as king. We talked about this last week, that Jesus is king, that he is the rightful king of the Jews through both Joseph and in Luke chapter 3 through Mary. That because of his birth order, because of his lineage, he is the proper line. He is in the proper line to be called son of David, meaning the Davidic line to the throne. He is the rightful ruler of the nation of Israel. Now in this portion, 18 through 25, we're going to see Jesus being born, but this is the Proper lineage from heaven, that he is God's son, the true heir to God's kingdom, the ruler, the king of this kingdom. Now, it's important to understand theologically that sin comes through Adam. When Adam and Eve sinned, we were told that sin comes through Adam. And Paul talks a lot about this in Romans, and we're not going to spend a lot of time there, but just knowing that through the Father is how sin enters into us and how sin is passed down. So in order for Jesus to be perfect, he could not have an earthly father. And so we see Jesus as the actual, the literal son of God. Now I've spent a lot of time in classrooms and and hearing speeches and messages of people explaining how this was possible. I'm not going to do that. Here's why. I am a biblical literist. When God says something, I believe it to be true. If the Bible tells me that the entire world was created in six days and on the seventh day rested, I believe that the entire world was created in six days and on the seventh day God rested. Now, if God can create all things, remember we're told in Genesis that it was void, meaning it was complete emptiness. We can't understand or comprehend what that is, but God had to create darkness. Uh, God had to create something because there was void. There was nothing. And so God created all of these things. So if God is that powerful, if that is who God is as creator, then when God wants to create a baby inside of a woman with no male figure, with none of the normal ways of doing so, all he has to do is speak it into being. I choose to view science through the filter of God, not God through the filter of science. And so when God speaks things into existence, God says something and it happens, that is how Mary becomes pregnant with the Son of God, with Joseph being the legal father. So that Jesus is the proper lineage of the earthly throne of David, but also he is the proper lineage as the Son of God to be king of God's kingdom. So that is the bigger picture of this passage. That is the big picture of how Matthew is wanting us to understand just exactly what it means that Jesus is king. Now, before we jump into the passage, I want to explain some of the cultural things as well. Uh, Joseph and Mary are talked about almost like they're married, because it says that Joseph's going to get a divorce, but he's told not to, and we're going to read this in a moment. What this is, is how this culture worked, and the way that we do weddings in the Western world or in America is totally different. Uh, These were arranged marriages when Joseph and Mary would have been 12 or 13 years old. Their parents would have met and decided a price for marriage, a price for the dowry, all of these things. And Joseph and Mary may have never met each other. They didn't have really any say in marrying each other. And then around 14, 15 years old, it would be set, a wedding date would be set, and that began a year-long betrothal period where we would view it as being engaged. They viewed it as um, this is almost like marriage except you're really never going to see each other. And that would um, set up this beautiful wedding where the groom comes and and in some ways surprises the bride and he takes her and they all go back and her family and they go back to the groom's house where they have this huge wedding ceremony and a reception that lasts basically about a week long. And the honeymoon period is actually a year long. They didn't work during that, their first year of marriage. In some ways, there's a fantastic ideas in there. And so they have this beautiful wedding ceremony and that's how it would normally work. To be unfaithful during that time of betrothal, then the groom had the option of submitting articles of divorce to his betrothed bride. They would not have been together. They would not have seen each other, even socially. And so if the bride would end up pregnant, that would be a huge disgrace to both families. That would be a huge disgrace to the groom, and that would be uh, basically a life of shame for the bride. Now, in the Levitical law, if the bride ended up pregnant, or if she had uh, cheated on the groom in any way, that was punishable by death. That would have been her being brought outside the city and stoned to death by the people of the city. During the Roman occupation, that really didn't happen that much, uh, if at all. And so what would happen instead is, in this case, Mary would have been shamed and disgraced, not until the baby was born, not until the wedding happened, but really for the rest of her life. That was the punishment. Rather than killing you, we are just going to continually hurt you. And I hope this kind of starts to bring into picture what Jesus' life would have been like growing up with a mother and father who would have been publicly shamed for really his entire childhood and into adulthood. Uh, That is something I think we don't really understand of Jesus' life. So I want to kind of take a different look at this passage, at this birth narrative, and kind of understand Mary and Joseph a little bit more from what we learned about them in this passage and what that means for us. So let's jump into the passage. Matthew chapter one, starting in verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to his son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. That name Jesus means Yahweh saves, or the Lord saves saves. And it's interesting is at this time, that was a pretty common name, especially under the Roman occupation. Uh, the other forms of that, the Hebrew forms would be Joshua uh, or Yeshua, uh, Joshua, meaning the book that hopefully you're just finished up as you go through the Read Scripture app, um, and uh, several uh, names that are similar to it in Hebrew. So, But it is a very common name, and especially at this time where people were feeling the weight of the Roman oppression in their land, they... Had such significance to the names that they would give their children. And so the name Jesus or Joshua or Yeshua was a very common name at this time. And it was a sign of the people saying, We need the Lord to save us. And the name was something the father would choose on the eighth day when they would have their son circumcised. Then the father would give the name to their son. And so Joseph is told, that You're going to give him the name the Yahweh Saves. And he, Jesus, will save. The people from their sins. This is a beautiful picture of all of this significance and again there is so much more we could spend weeks just in this one passage. But what I want to look at is um, what it is to remain faithful in an unfaithful world. Remaining faithful in an unfaithful world. Now if you are taking notes that is my first point point. and that's what we see with Joseph and Mary. They are remaining faithful in an unfaithful world. We've talked at length over the last couple months as we've been in Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Malachi, and leading up to this, that the world around them was incredibly corrupt. It was uh, way too focused on politics. It was way too focused on the different kingdoms of the kingdom of Israel or the kingdom of Rome. And there was just all of these distractions. And yet here we meet Joseph and Mary. Now we've talked about the faithful remnant when we were finishing up Malachi. The people who you just don't hear about. In fact, they were called, when we were talking about uh, Simeon and Anna in Luke, uh, the people at the temple who were so excited to see Jesus, that they were called the quiet in the land. That they were known for, they didn't get involved in the politics. They didn't get involved in overthrowing the government. They didn't get involved in overthrowing the Romans. They just worshiped God faithfully, the faithful remnant. And it is believed that that is who Joseph and Mary were. And we see that it says Joseph was faithful in following the law. We see that Mary was godly, that Mary was considered righteous. And so you have these two people who are going to be entrusted with the son of God to raise as their own. And here they are, Joseph and Mary. They lived quiet lives of obedience to God. And although they weren't really given a choice, it seems that Mary and Joseph knew the toll that it would take when they became pregnant before they were married. Again, they were told that they were going to do this. Joseph obeyed. And that's the story you see of Joseph and Mary throughout the different birth narratives in Matthew and Luke is they obeyed the word of the Lord. As I mentioned, they would have gone through great shame and disgrace their entire lives. We see that they had to move to Bethlehem. And in the coming weeks, we're going to see how they had to keep moving and relocating only to end up back in Nazareth, the place where the people would know the truth about them or what they perceived as truth. That the crazy woman who said she got pregnant by God, uh, the man with a pregnant wife who says that they've never known each other in that way, And they would have grown up with just this incredible amount of shame and disgrace. I think that's what we see when we read in Isaiah. It said that this Messiah would be familiar with pain and suffering. More than likely, Jesus was familiar with pain and suffering. And this probably included his upbringing. And again, the shame and what would have surrounded his family. What would have surrounded his mother and father. uh, What would have surrounded him and his eventual siblings that we, we learn about. And so Jesus would know what it would be like to grow up as an outcast of society in some ways. We also know that Joseph and Mary were not wealthy because of their sacrifice that they would bring to uh, have ceremonial cleanness after Jesus was born. We see the obedience that on the eighth day, they brought Jesus to be circumcised, that Joseph gave him the name Jesus that he was commanded to give him, that they went to do their ceremonial cleanness. They brought two birds because they couldn't afford the other sacrifice, but they obeyed. Uh, we see them back at the temple when Jesus is 12 years old, uh, there for the Passover. So they would bring their sacrifices to these different feasts, to Jerusalem. They were faithful. They faithfully obeyed God, even though they were probably harassed. Joseph and Mary were chosen by God because of their faithfulness, and they continued to be faithful in what was asked of them. And the theme of God using those that are the least likely continues. Here we see again Joseph and Mary, this poor couple, young family, from the middle of nowhere in Nazareth, that we see people would later pick on Jesus saying, He's from Nazareth. Nothing comes out of Nazareth. But yet, God had this amazing plan. He had this amazing plan that His kingdom would be established as only He can through this young man and this young woman who obeyed faithfully. The world outside would have looked at them as just ordinary, poor, small town people. And yet it was through them that the king of kings would arrive and establish his kingdom on earth. How do we remain faithful in an unfaithful world? How do we live faithfully? First, we must understand that living faithfully is only possible because of Jesus. Jesus is the faithful Savior. Jesus is the faithful Savior. In Philippians chapter 2, a passage that we mention a lot, and I would highly encourage you to go back and read that again, we see Jesus and what he would do. We see this life of humility and sacrifice. Remember the saying we always say, the gospel is always about humility and sacrifice, not comfort and privilege. And we get that from Jesus, who is in the throne room of heaven, who is at God's right hand side with All of this splendor and glory that we can't even imagine, but he would come to earth as only a faithful Savior can to live the life of a servant, to live a life of knowing pain and suffering. In fact, it's believed that more than likely when Jesus was a teenager, Joseph may have died, as just what some scholars believe. And he would have been responsible for his family being the oldest son. And so Jesus knew pain and suffering even through his upbringing of whether that was emotionally through the the community around him, whether it was from seeing the loss of life around him, uh, growing up underneath this oppressive time because of the Roman government, uh, growing up in this incredibly corrupted religious system that his parents still remain faithful to. Jesus would have known pain and suffering, he came to earth to live in that way demonstrating humility and sacrifice over and over again, only to be executed and murdered by the very people that he came to save. But I love this in verse 22, I'm sorry, verse 21, when it says, "...she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." Jesus was that faithful servant. Jesus was that faithful servant, Savior, Messiah, King. And it is because of what Jesus did for us. Only the Son of God, who lived a perfect life with no human father, can defeat sin and death. And that is what the Savior came to earth to do, defeat sin and death. And it had to happen for the hope of the Savior to be true. That is how it had to happen, and that is exactly what Jesus did. He came to serve. He came to serve, and as a perfect the only perfect human that has ever lived because he had no human father, because he lived a perfect life, he could defeat sin and death. And Second Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sins on his shoulders and he took them to the grave when he died and he rose from the dead. He defeated sin and death to be our savior and who we can put our hope in. And now we can live faithfully when we make Jesus the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life. Our prayer is always that if you have never done that, that you would take that time right now that you would take that time and call out to him and pray and ask him to forgive you of your sins and ask him to be the leader of your life and that you would change it in a way that only demonstrates his power because Jesus is the faithful Savior. He is and always will remain faithful. Second, we can remain faithful because of the promise that was made to us and that is in verse 22. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. This is such a powerful and impactful passage. Again, there's so much in, these, in this short passage, in these short amount of verses, of explaining just who God is and explaining who Jesus is. but what we see is this theme of faithfulness that continues to shine through. The Emmanuel, this is a demonstration of God's faithfulness to us. God, yet again, is taking one of His promises and making it true because God does not break promises. So God has given us the Messiah, the Savior, the King, and now we can have this hope in him that will cause us to live faithfully. And I want to take this because he says, God with you. And I think that was such a blessing and probably something, and again, this is just me, not biblical, that Joseph and Mary held onto as they were raising the son of God as their own. They could hold on to this peace that even though they're, they were in this oppressive time, that they were probably shamed and ridiculed, they could hold on to that God is literally with us. The Son of God is here. The Christ, the Messiah is with us. And I think that's something that we can look at and understand in our lives, what it is to be in that relationship with God. And so what does that look like? How do we remain faithful? Well, I'm glad you asked. In Matthew 28, and this is the last passage in the book of Matthew, and I want to draw attention to the very last sentence, but we'll start in verse 18. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, talking to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now remember, we started off, the manual God with us, and look at this last sentence in the book of Matthew. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is that faithful promise from a faithful God that He is not going to leave us, that we are not left alone, but that He is going to remain with us. And again, in John, He promises us this Holy Spirit that will indwell us and seal us into His family and guide us. And we're told throughout Scripture, "Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit." So, how do we remain faithful in an unfaithful world? Well. Joseph and Mary didn't have this promise of the gospel and of the Holy Spirit living inside of them that we do. And so we actually live in this different time, this age of grace, this church age that we talk about, where we can rely on the written word of God to guide us through the Holy Spirit and through our time of prayer and meditation that as we obey God, and that's what's so interesting about this passage. It says, go, therefore, go and make disciples, go and baptize them, go and teach them, As we live that out, as we go and do that, we build this relationship, we build this trust as we obey our God. And as we do that, as we obey him, that is how we live faithfully. But it's never done in our own strength. It is done because of the promise of God that he has given us the Holy Spirit to help guide us in this way. This is the promise we have to continue the work of building God's kingdom because the king of this kingdom is with us, continuing to be faithful no matter what we encounter in life. Jesus, that that suffering savior, Jesus, the king of kings, Jesus, the king of his kingdom, has called us to live like him but has also indwelt us with the Holy Spirit to guide us in how to represent His kingdom here on earth. And God is faithful. Jesus is the faithful savior. He will not call us to something that he cannot do. And he is all powerful. The faithful king in this upside down kingdom is first a servant who is willing to live a life of pain and suffering to eventually take our punishment for our sins. This is to demonstrate his power that is alive and active in us as we try to live faithfully for his glory. We do not try to live faithfully for us. We try to live faithfully because we are a representation of who he is. And yes, there are going to be times that we mess up. We are humans. But 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful. When we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This should be such an exciting passage as we look at how we, human beings, sinful human beings, can be grafted into this family of Jesus, this family of God, only because of what God has done, only because of what Jesus accomplished in his birth, in his death, and his resurrection. We can be grafted in and live faithfully for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we have. To go to your word, to get this snapshot of your power, that you are able to do things that no man can understand, that you were able to create just by your word, that you were able to perfectly make sense of things that for so long people couldn't make sense of what the prophets were talking about, this Messiah, this Savior. And yet because of Jesus, the way that he was born, the way that he lived, the way that he died, the way that he rose again, we have this incredible hope. Lord, I pray that if anyone is is watching this that does not know you, that they would call out to you right now. That they would begin that relationship with you. That they would confess their sins to you. That they would ask for forgiveness that they would make you the leader of their life. Lord, I pray for us that that do know you. Lord, I pray that this, again, is just a reminder of your power, that is a reminder of your faithfulness to us, that is a reminder that you use anybody you want, that you use the ordinary, that you use those least unexpected for your glory. Lord, I pray that we would live faithfully for your glory. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.